Welcome to the 55th ACC Now podcast. I'm Luke DeCock, joined this week by a, a more special guest than usual, NC State Athletics Director Boo Corrigan. We're in his office with his bull rings and decorated footballs and, and all kinds of some army memorabilia, what you would expect from someone with his resume. And I just want to say real quick, we're talking before the Texas Tech game. So anything football related, take that, <laughs> take that into account. Hopefully, uh, nothing will change from what Boo says today, so it's not awkward listening to this. Well, it's good, it's good to be with so, you. Thank you, yes. Yeah, no, it's good to be with you. I appreciate it. I've, uh, I've listened to a number of these um, and um, find them really good, so I'm good. happy to be a part of it. Good. You and the other guy are really enjoying it. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed it. Let's, let, thank you. Um, and no, we, I'm glad. I'm glad because we've tried to have interesting guests and interesting topics. And sometimes we do. Sometimes we don't. Um, I want to start with sort of non-NC State stuff, the most, maybe the most topical thing nationally, which is your role as chairman of the College Football Playoff Selection Committee, and I realize that hasn't really gotten started in earnest yet, but what are you expecting from that? Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's an honor to be the chair of the committee, right? And, and just from a clarification standpoint, our committee just selects the teams. We're not in charge of conference expansion or... <laughs> Playoff expansion or anything else, or where, where they're going to be or anything else. But oh, this is going to be a really short podcast thing. Yeah, exactly. All my questions were about that. Yes. Um, no, but I'm excited to be a part of it. You know, it's a great 13 uh, person committee uh, where we have the opportunity to sit down and talk about something we all love being college football. Uh, the first weekend is Halloween weekend, it will be the first uh, weekend that we gather together. I've got some things uh, next week where we'll go out there and go through some training. And I don't know if you ever had a chance to do the mock or not, but there'll be some media people out there and we'll do a mock um, selection show and, and get a better idea of, of how we go through the entire process. But yeah, it, it's a really well done committee. Uh, there is no force of personality in the room. People are bringing what they, um, what they see, what they know, what they... Uh, read statistics and everything, and we gather together, and it's uh, it's a dynamic time right now, clearly. I mean, you, you know, college football is uh, always delivers, right? I mean, it, it always delivers from big wins to upsets to everything else, so uh, I'm excited about going in there. Ideally, you'll have to leave the room at some point if NC State is under consideration. I assume that's how it's handled. Yeah, uh, it, it is. What's that going to be like for you if you have to actually sort of exit while you're your school is being the, you know, the, the with high, very high stakes being debated. Yeah. Well, the good news is I, I, I uh, was able to leave the room last year <laughs> as well. So it's not a new, it's not a new thing. But it, you know, you you see it when it comes up there. You know what your job is, if you will. That when your team is mentioned, you stand up and and you leave the room and are no nowhere near it. When you come back in the room, what is interesting is you talk about the other teams that are determined, right, while you're gone, because if we do it in different, um, uh, pick pick two out of six, yeah. pick four out of eight, and that type of thing. So you, I am able to talk about the other ones as we go through it, and then just leave NC State out of it, and then kind of keep <laughs> going. Is it uh, different knowing that expansion is out there? Does that change kind of? Maybe not the way you approach the process, but what you guys talk about, because this is sort of now happening? No, I don't think it does. And again, the good thing about this committee is every week that you go in there, you have a clean sheet. 
you don't go in there, you're not um, relying on what you did the last week. I mean, you owe to college football fans, you owe to the coaches, you owe to the players. Every single week you go in there with a new evaluation. Yeah. So I think that part of it hasn't changed a bit. Everyone's very committed to that. We have some guiding principles on um, the value of conference championships, the value of road wins, and a number of things that we talk about every single week. Right, We make sure that we know exactly um, what our guiding principles are uh, as a selection committee and make sure that we stay within those, that we weigh those the way it's appropriately weighed and then kind of go through the process every week. Do you have any other exclusions, any other teams you have to leave the room for? Uh, University of Notre Dame. That's, yeah. I have to leave for Notre Dame because my brother is a lacrosse coach. Right, so that counts. Notre Dame. So it counts. It, it counts and we have people on the committee who have children that work at different schools, right? And that could be what it is. Um, then you got John Yershel, who, who played at uh, played at Penn State, played in the NFL, while playing in the NFL, got his PhD simultaneously at MIT. So MIT is eliminated for that's going to be for, difficult for John. But I think we're, I think we're okay with that. Are you? Let's say Army were in under contention. Are you allowed to stay in the room for yes. Army? Okay, interesting. I, I, but, yeah, the, the interesting thing is, right, so I've uh, went to Notre Dame, doesn't eliminate me, worked hmm. at Florida State, worked at Virginia, worked at Duke, worked at the Naval Academy, worked at West. None of those eliminate me. But the fact that I work at NC State now, the fact that I have a relative at the University of Notre Dame, those, those. are two, those are eliminators. Yeah, it seems like if... If merely working at Notre Dame was an issue, there would be like four people left in the room when Notre Dame comes up. At least if there's, it seems that way around the ACC anyway. Um, will you have in your role, or is this all above your head, it, it, as they kind of try to figure out what to do with expansion and potentially throwing this out to bid for networks other than ESPN and how that might work and whatever, do you have any role in that, or is that all going to be done ex post facto, not your problem? That, that is the board of managers, which is made up of the Present. university presidents. That, that in turn goes to the management committee that is made up of the commissioners um, and they're the ones that make that decision. Yeah. So really, the, you think, think of it in terms of the president saying, we're good to go, right? We want to do this. And then the board of managers um, or the management committee after that will be the ones that make all those tactical decisions, yeah. if you will. And then once it gets handed down, then that's when our committee gets involved. Just the brief to pick the teams and... Sort, yeah, that's sort of out. Yeah, yeah, that's it. All we do is pick teams. Yeah, yeah. just like everyone in a bar. <laughs> uh, you did mention this earlier in your disclaimer that you have nothing to do with this, but as a sitting ACC athletic director, it's an issue of sort of constant attention. But this is obviously a time of change in terms of conferences. You've been through sort of the ACC expansion ringer over the years, just kind of the school, the, 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 somebody who grew up with the ACC and now is watching the conference change uh, as other conferences change. How do you feel about, just in very big picture terms, the ACC's positioning as the Big 12 and SECs have both expanded sort of in the last 14 months here? Yeah, yeah. I think what we all owe to the ACC is to be really good. And, and I think that's the most important thing. And that's where, that, that's where the additional value is going to come from, right, is when we have an opportunity to play a non-conference game, how do we do in that? When we're in conference, what are we doing to raise everyone up to get – to be really competitive, to increase um, the value of the wins that we have in the conference. And, and I really think that's the most important thing. I, I love uh, 
the idea of being able to play teams in this area, right? And not have to get on a plane and fly 1,500 miles, 2,000 miles, whatever, whatever it is. And I think the history that we have here, particularly in the state of North Carolina, is something that needs to be cherished, something that needs to be um, looked after, right? And make sure we're all moving forward in a, in a positive way. And, and then at some point, let the market determine what it is. Yeah. And you mentioned local. The ACC's taken some criticism for playing road games at group of five schools, especially Sunbelt schools, and we've kind of seen the way that's played out the last couple of weeks. Obviously, for you guys, it makes all the sense in the world to go to Greenville or Boone or play these games that have tremendous local interest. But do you think in the long term, the ACC needs to get away from sort of games that don't have that sort of intense local rivalry interest? And, and is that something that's been discussed among ADs and, 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 the, and the commissioners? Well, it, it's certainly something that we've, that we've discussed. And it's certainly something that I'm paying attention to. It's the idea um, of us going on the road um, for a game from our ACC network standpoint doesn't do us any good. Yeah. Right? From the visibility on television typically isn't going to be um, a bigger game. And I think we need to be better stewards of those games. And, and it's something we're looking at certainly with our scheduling is where, where we have those, you know, um, what can we do about it? Yeah. You know, and is there an opportunity to move out of those games? And that's something I'm taking a serious look at right now. How many sort of of those games in that category do you have that you would put in that category on your future schedule? Uh, maybe five or six in the next 10 years okay. that we really got to look at. And does it make sense for us to do that? Does it make sense for us to go someplace where, again, there is no value, yeah. right? At least if you're playing them at home, you get the value of the network. You get, you're bringing value to... To the conference from that standpoint, but those group of five road games, competitive, not competitive. That's yeah. not that's not what I'm looking at. We got to raise our head up and look at the bigger value of what we're doing, um, because again, the dollars that come in, we're going to do everything we can to push those dollars to the student yeah. athlete experience. And you, you know, you guys just signed the home and home with App State. Is that in your mind an exception because of? It's local and in-state, or is that something that has to be looked at in sort of the next cycle of non-conference games? Too? I think we've got to look at everything. Okay. I okay. think we've got to look at everything at this point. Because, again, dealing with new information, yeah. right? The, the information that we had, you know, a year ago is different than the information we had three months ago. And we've got to be really good stewards of the conference and of each institution. In the sense, and obviously when this stuff comes up, it ends up coming down to revenues and the quote-unquote revenue gap. Is that is there a point where you guys have, as a conference, enough money to be competitive? Is there a point where that revenue gap does become competitively, uh, you know, a, 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 a weight on competitiveness? Or as long as you're at a certain level, it doesn't matter if you're at 70 million or 80 million or 120 million or 60 million. Like, where do you kind of fit in on that? I, yeah, I mean, we, we've been behind for a little bit, right? Right now, I believe um, someone told me when we signed our deal, it was the biggest deal, right? So we went from having the biggest deal to other people getting bigger deals. I think the biggest concern is if the gap becomes so big, it does become really hard, yeah. right? And it becomes hard to retain people. And there's an opportunity at another school, same position, same... Um, time demand, same everything else, then that position is going to pay 2x yeah. what we're paying. So I think that's that to me is the hardest part, 
right? You got people that love NC State, want to be at NC State, and then all of a sudden someone comes in and says, we're going to double your salary. You know, that's a life decision yeah. that, that, that people have to make. And we hope that, we, we hope that we've created a really good environment and a really um, positive environment for them to want to be around. But, you know, I mean, if, if you're doubling your salary, I think you owe it to yourself. You owe it to your family to look at it. I think those are the kind of the things that, as you go down the road further, could become um, more determinant factors yeah. and then potentially um, a competitive advantage. Okay. Is that problematic at this point, or is that something down the road? I, I, I don't think it is at this yeah. point. I don't think it is at this point. But again, if it's really, you know, if you would have projected three years ago that we'd be where we are today, you know, that would have been amazing. Yeah. So the idea of being able to project where we're going to be in three years right now would be amazing. I just know what we're doing and what we're really concentrating on is being the best NC State we can be, yeah. right? And how do we do everything we can to maximize the opportunities from our student athletes from an NIL standpoint, from everything that they have in their student athlete experience here, right, that they have there, uh, how we travel, what we do, how we move around, the coaching that we have and, and the confidence that we have in the people here. That's really what our focus is right now. Uh, and you alluded to that earlier in terms of flying 1,200, 1,500 miles for a game. If you were a Big Ten AD or the AD at USC or UCLA, I mean, how can you how can you balance that? I mean, you know what it's like. You get off a cross-country charter. It doesn't matter that you chartered. The next day is still wasted. And I've seen pros do it. They don't have to go to class the next day or do homework. I mean, is that an existential issue to a certain extent for college sports? Of Are we going to get to a point where we're asking too much of athletes? And, and I'm using that as an example, but others you know, could potentially come up. I, I think they went into it with their eyes open and, and they feel comfortable with the decisions that they've made and how they're going to manage that. Um, it's not my place to say, you know, okay. well, let me you, you did this, you did that. You know, but I mean, I think they went into it eyes open. I know how much you love hypotheticals. So let's <laughs> say, what if Jim Phillips calls in the middle of this meeting and says, boo, I just want to give you a heads up. We're adding Washington and Oregon. What would your concerns be as an AD about putting your athletes on those additional sort of cross-country flights? Well, yeah, I mean, you, you want, want how are we going to manage this? Yeah. What, what, is, what is the thought process behind it? Are you going to travel to Washington, um, come back and have three extra days off. I don't know what the answer, yeah. you, you know what I'm saying, but how, how do you manage it? You know, I'm also old school, I believe in the value of an education, right? And I believe the value of the education is being in a classroom. So I don't want to get to a point where 60, 70, 80% of our classes are online, yeah. right? And, and that's certainly something you can manage if that's part of, part of the decision tree that you have, right? That you can do it online, then I think that becomes a little bit more manageable, but I, I like the idea. I like the total experience that, that student athletes have um, at NC State. So that, what what are we doing to mitigate the travel on the backside? Yeah, we, right. What are you doing on the front side to make sure of what it is? And, and you know, I think those are the questions that I would have initially. Okay. And one more big question for you, big picture question before we kind of dig in a little bit more on NC State specific stuff. But one of the sort of revenue gap questions that's out there is if we get to a point where players are being compensated out of that, whether it's, and, and I'm, look, I'm not saying writing players a paycheck, but whether it's a trust fund or, you know, rewards for credits earned, whatever this is. But if there's a portion of that revenue that ends up going to athletes, I mean, is 
is that something you've thought about or how you would accommodate that or plan for? Or do you feel like that's far enough off in the distance where it can be sort of dealt with? I mean, you know, the thing I think the thing people don't understand about NIL is it's not school money being diverted to athletes. They're getting it from other sources, although obviously there is a bigger picture issue. Did that money once go to the school? All of that. But in terms of direct, you know, Alston payments, things like that, as that expands, you know, wh where do you think that fits into that part of the equation? I think those are the big questions that are going to be answered in the next couple of years. I, I think we can we can talk about the NCAA rules. We can talk about the rule book and all those things, but that's still out there, right? And and how do we handle from a name NIL standpoint the whole you know, you can't induce and you can't pay to play right within this there's a large area in between what, what does that ultimately look like yeah right and then from there what's the next step and each state is going to be different right I mean do we have the ability to get the antitrust exemption um, and, and if we do what effect does that have on this, I mean, there, there's some really, really big issues that we got to worry about. My, my, my concern is we're gonna we're gonna nibble around the edges and and still have the big questions. Which is kind that, of what's happened with NIL answered. is yeah. everyone's sort of taking little pieces, yeah. but the yeah the big the big parts still out there. It's a it's a dynamic time. Yeah, I it's bet it's a super dynamic time. Yeah, this was supposed to be a relaxing summer. <laughs> no shot. <laughs> uh, all right, I lied. One more slightly big picture question, although it does bring us closer to NC State specifically. As someone who's been through the ringer, how did you feel about the end of the IARP, the independent adjudication process that you guys went through with basketball? Yeah, I mean, from, from, our, from our standpoint, what we liked the most was the, um, the independent jurors, if you will, right? That... The, that's what they do for a living, whether they're arbitrators or judges or lawyers or whatever. They really understood and dug in to the process and, and understood both sides of what it is, understand the ability to argue both sides of what it is, and that was kind of their job. Did we like the timing of it? It was really long, yeah. right, to go through it. But, you know, it's a whole lot different when you have that group are professionals at that level as, as jurors, as opposed to, you know, you're an AD, you're a senior women's administrator, you're a faculty rep. And here's, by the way, here's a big bonus for you. You're now on the Committee on Infractions, right? And you've still got your full-time job, and you got to do this. I thought that was a real positive yeah. from the IARP. Um, you know, when we went through it initially, you know, I mean, I think we may have talked we're the first ones. Yeah. Do you want to be the first ones? And it was, honestly, it was half and half. Yeah. One is the, the fear of the unknown, right? It was was in one on one of your shoulders and holy cow, this is really big, bad, scary, new. The other was they're independent jurors who understand comp complex cases. Yeah. Right, and it wasn't the first time that they'd heard cases that were complex. Yeah. So from that standpoint, again, I think it's one. Honestly, look, one day you're on one side, the next day you're on. I'm the sure it was kind of a up and down emotional. Well, there thing. was plenty of time to ride that roller coaster yeah. over the nine years you guys <laughs> were in the IARP. Well, and you know, I hope in some way, as an outsider, that the NCA can find a way to incorporate more independent. Um, sort of arbitrators or deciders into the process. Because I, I do think, and I'm not casting any aspersions on Greg Sankey here, but for him to be chairing the committee 
when one of his conference's main basketball rivals was facing potentially severe punishments, you know, it, it didn't, it wasn't right to me that someone with that much skin in the game, and whether he was handled appropriately or not doesn't matter, was deciding the fate of UNC basketball. Like the, the commissioner of the conference with Kentucky in it decided, it just, I get how it ends up that way. It just feels like that's off. Like that. The, the optics are bad. Yeah. Right. The optics are bad. It doesn't mean um, that they're going to go in there in a slanted way. No, no, not at all. You, you know what I'm saying? And again, I, I believe that the, the people that are involved in that go in there uh, clear minded, yeah. you, you know, open to all the points that are made optically. It is tough. Yeah. And again, that, where that really hits is it gives the fan base an opportunity yeah. to, to get in behind it. Um, from a passion standpoint of, yeah, I can't believe they're allowing this to occur. But, you know, a lot of times, no matter who's on that group, there's going to be someone Probably. viewed on that group as having something positive or negative about yeah. whoever they're seeing. Well, and, and Helen, Sankey's defense, that's a no-win situation for him. Yes. So I, it just feels like that, that was the process of the IARP was a little too muddled or Byzantine or whatever, but it seemed like what you said about feeling good about the people who were in the end, judging you was good. It'd be nice if we could find a way to present that to them in a sure. nice, tidy package rather than relitigate everything all over again. Um, let's segue to basketball then. That's out from over the program. You said last year you still had confidence in Kevin Keats despite some of the results on the floor, and obviously he's using the transfer portal like coaches are now. What What is your sense of the state of the basketball program going into the season, and how much is riding on how the, how the team performs? Yeah, I mean, season? there's there, there's... Every yeah, you know, I mean we're judged every day, right? But regardless of what we do, um, in one way or another. But you know, I, I think when you when you go back in the wayback machine and you know we have four transfers and it's like oh my lord, I think the national average was four point five transfers per team, right? So we're kind of there's no such thing as have a person, right? You, you know, but we're kind of below the average on that. I think there's a new energy around the program right now and, the, and what the transfers have bought, uh, what, what our new assistant coaches have brought to it. Uh, Kevin is invigorated um, right now, and I'm excited about what happens, um, you know, when we tip it off this fall. What was your take? I mean, you mentioned the staff changes. There's guys with some significant resumes who have worked in some, some, some pretty serious places, some with strong connections to the program, obviously. Uh, you know, when you were sort of watching that process happen, what were you thinking? Yeah, a lot of it is just, you know, when, when, you, when you're when you in that type of situation and, and we were a little bit there in 19 with football and Coach mm -hmm. Dorn, it's more, you know, being the sounding board. Yeah. What, 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 do you, what, what are you thinking? Well, here's what I'm thinking. All right, if you do that, where do you go? What, what, what's, what, and why are we going to be better as a result of that? You, you know, and I think that's mainly what my job is. It's not... My job's not, you know, do this, 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 and this. That's Kevin is a subject matter expert in men's basketball. Wes Moore is a subject matter expert in women's basketball. And when they lose an assistant, tell me what you're thinking. Are you looking to get a little bit younger? Are you looking to get a little bit more experience? Are you looking for um, uh, power five experience? You, you know, and those types of things. And just being there to be able to talk through everything with him. Uh, in terms of basketball, obviously there's a lot of discussion about renovations inside and outside of PNC Arena. Those things are sort of moving on parallel tracks. Obviously, the, the, the one of the big issue on the 
development around the arena is, is parking spots. I mean, that's there's no way, no illusions about that. Where do you see that heading? Is that that process is really accelerating? I know you met with Dan Barrett, the consultant that the Centennial Authority hired. A lot of almost everybody in, in the entire area has at this point, I think, including me. So, you know, where, where do you see that going? And is there a way to sort of navigate that 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 Gordian knot of parking in a way that works for everybody? Well, whatever we do is going to be an NC State decision. It's not going to be a Book Oregon decision. It's not going to be an athletic decision alone. It's it's going to involve the the university and Chancellor Woodson and and uh, you know whatever direction he wants to go, you know, with the Centennial Authority. Uh, with Gale Force, with everyone else involved in what it is. And I think that's the most important thing from our standpoint is that we're aligned properly with the university and, and those decisions will, will be made coming down the road. Do you feel from a competitive perspective like that arena needs upgrading? The one thing I said, I may have said it to Annabelle when I, when I first got here, you can tell the pride that they have in that building. You, you know what I'm saying? You've been mm -hmm. to a lot of old buildings that look really old. Our building doesn't look really old, right? I mean, they've done everything they can to do it. That being said, I think there is an opportunity in the bowl itself, yeah. you know, at a time where things have changed and the idea of having all kinds of suites versus having, you know, uh, four tops. Yeah, experience. The, the idea of being able to get into a club area, the idea of having, uh, a couple years ago, it was called collision space. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? Instead of all the seats up top, is there an area where you can watch a game from on a rail? Is there an area to get different concessions? Yeah. What you've done in the north north end of Carter yeah, Finley. So. Yeah. yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? Just providing something different than what it is because it's not, um, the days of going to a stadium, parking your car, walking in, getting in your seat, getting a hot dog, getting a water, watching a game, they're, they're, they're not gone because that's still yeah. a core group of our audience, but a lot of times people want more. Yeah. And, and what are we doing in the actual arena itself to create more of those experiential uh, yeah. times? And that's that, the, the thing that I say to people is, yes, there's a tailgating culture that's terrific for hockey and football and basketball, lesser extent basketball, but certainly football. Um, but a lot of people tailgate by default because that arena in the stadium been sitting out there in the middle of nowhere for 20 years, more in the case of the football stadium. And for a long time, there wasn't much to do in the football stadium once you did get inside, right. which is, you know, we've, we've got the, 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 we won't talk about pass outs today, but that's where that Thank all you. comes from. You're welcome. Um, so yeah, so I feel like there's, there's probably a path we can navigate that retains the spirit and the, the, the viability of a tailgating culture while giving people who don't necessarily want to tailgate a chance to get a drink in a place that's air conditioned or heated and watch other games on TV and not be outside. But there's a middle ground there that works for everybody. But I also understand that your constituency is very vocal on this subject and, yeah. and is, requires some. And, and, and that's, that's why it's a university decision. Right. Right. You know what I'm saying? It can't be a, can't be strictly an athletic decision because it's, it's part of a bigger picture of the university. All right, let's let's go lightning round here before I get they start playing the music to get us off. Um, women's basketball equity, obviously, your program has elevated itself into the stratosphere. You guys have as much skin in the game as anybody that that you didn't before. Um, how do you feel about that process since the sort of 2020, or 2021 coming to terms with the inequities there? And you guys, if you have the kind of season you're capable of having, are likely to end up in Greenville with South Carolina, whether you play them or not. Do you have any concerns about that? Sure, I do. You, you know, I mean, I think equity, it's one thing to talk about equity in terms of, you know, equal weight rooms, equal 
gift packs and and those types of things. But you know, true true equity is going to come when you know the the hotels are the same, right? Where the men walk into a hotel and the women walk into the hotel, where where they're staying, where the games are played. Um, you know, who has the home court advantage? You look at the men's side, and I think they've done a really good job of uh, while regionally being you know kind of in a pod, yeah. right? It's not that home team. And, um, you know, last year was, you know, made us all crazy. It just did. The, you know, the idea of going in as number one seed and playing um, playing in Connecticut, you know, essentially a home game for them when we're the number one seed. And, and that's that to me is equity as well. Yeah. Yeah, that wouldn't happen. I shouldn't say that because it has happened on the men's side. But... It, it's just it, UConn's such a gravitational force in that sport. It feels like you have to address it. You they, can't just pretend it doesn't exist. No, they, they are. But you know, if if we're going to do that, you know, give us you know forty percent of the tickets. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Instead of pre-selling everything. Right. So I mean, it, it, all of those elements play into what equity is. What'd you learn from? I have a football question for you first. What'd you learn from your Holiday Bowl experience? And, and dealing with that, it's pride in our in the in the men in our program and the women in our program and how they handled everything. You know, just I mean, imagine the disappointment of being someplace for four days, day of the game. You, you're in your mindset, right? You're in your mindset, and uh, all of a sudden to have that kind of pulled out from under you. Um, proud of the young men that we have in our program, how they handle themselves. Proud of our coaches. Um, the way they handled themselves, just an incredibly unfortunate, hard. Yeah, I get, I get hit sometimes for saying, you know, I'm heartbroken, you know, for for you know our student athletes and those things. I am. Yeah. You, you know, I mean, it wasn't fair. What what happened to them? It wasn't fair. When, when you think about our women's basketball program going to Connecticut, it wasn't fair. Um, you know, with baseball. Yeah. But it's things that you deal with. And it doesn't mean, you know, I need to come up with a new adjective every time for how I feel. Distressed. About it. Yeah. You, you, you know, but it's the same, it's the same gut yeah. feeling of, I can't believe this is happening. Yeah. All three independent events, right? There is no commonality amongst the three events. There is no state stuff. It just happened, yeah. you, you know, and you just feel horrible for them. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I, I was staying in, in San Diego in, in what turned out to be the UCLA team hotel, and I was in the elevator with those guys, and one said to me, I can't believe we missed Christmas for this. And it's like, I know everyone's angry at UCLA and the way things went down, and maybe there were things that could have been done differently or not, but for those players, too, there was a sense of, of loss, of not getting, you know, everyone assuming they would lose, sort of, or were, anyway, we don't need to relitigate that necessarily, but I was curious if there was a, a lesson from that that you took away if something like that no, I mean, yeah, I, feel, I feel like I feel like I feel like we did everything the way we were supposed to. Okay. Right. I, I really do. I wish, you know, looking backwards, though, I wish we would have had that tip seventy-two hours earlier. That, that maybe it was, maybe we were concerned about some things. Sure, because I think we could have probably gotten a game, you know, at that point. But by the time it uh, the, the cancellation occurred, the day of the game. It, Everything else had already happened. And I know I know you were working the same phones I was asking about, are these teams available? Because I was trying to figure it out, and we talked several times that day. Like, there was just nobody who could do it. Yeah. It's just No, and, and, and again, if it's three days before, maybe some of the teams that weren't able to play hadn't broken yet, 
right? I mean, they hadn't sent everyone home, but the idea of um, someone all of a sudden, bang, we're going to call everyone. Yeah. We're San call Jose State, bring their whole bring team back, back to campus. To campus yeah. After they've been gone for three days, you, you know, and, and the, the, the testing that would have to happen. Yeah. Well, and your guys had flights, day. your guys had flights home too. Yeah. All right. Uh, all right. Wrap it up real quick here. Uh, one question general state of football. How do you here? feel about it? Yes. Feel good about yeah. it. Yeah. Feel good about it. Feel good about the young men that came back uh, to, to set their own legacy. Feel good about the uh, bringing all 10 assistant coaches back. Uh, feel good about Coach Doran and, and how he's leading and, and what he's doing right now and excited about the, the rest of the season. Okay. As I said, this is taped before the Texas Tech game, so put, just be aware of that. Uh, status of the Doak renovations and project there and, and, and kind of where that is. So we are... Um, we have redone the lights. We've redone all the seating. Um, I think it's October 1-ish when we start on the field to uh, remove the field, to move the bullpens from where they are to the outfield, to put in a new video board, um, to expand the dugouts. So excited about where we are there, excited about where we are uh, with the fundraising efforts. You know, my hope is that by the end of football season, we'll have all $15 million raised. And last one, I got to ask you about this as long as we're here. I know it's pending litigation, but the lawsuit filed accusing a former trainer of abuse. I mean, do you have any big picture concerns? I know that predated your tenure, but any big picture concerns? Uh, I'm going to stay with the university statement. Okay. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. That was, that was enjoyable. I loved rehashing the holiday bowl with you. you go. Good to be with you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Boo. Thanks.